Welcome to the Talk of Sykeston. I'm Glenn Cantrell, and I mentioned last week that um, we're kind of going to tackle a few issues um, this year that maybe we've not talked about before, or maybe they're issues that are things that just need to be talked about more within our community. And it, problems that we face or challenges that we face aren't just Sykeston. I mean, we find these things throughout other communities in southeast Missouri and really just across the country. But one of the issues, uh, challenges that faces us in this country is drug use and drug addiction. And there are it just seems like every few years we have a, something new that comes out uh, that um, those who have an addiction are, are beginning to use, and it, and it causes just more and more problems. And I think probably one of the drugs that we hear most about right now is fentanyl and how that has really infiltrated um, drug use within our within our country. And so today uh, I really want to talk about um, what's happening in our community within our country when it comes to drug use. And Chris Hummel is a licensed professional counselor with Boot Hill Counseling Services, and uh, he is a uh, substance use therapy provider. Is that a right word? Yes. Um, and he's actually been on the show before. And so welcome back, Chris. Thanks for coming back. Thanks for having me back. So as we think about drug addiction, yeah. I, well, first off, I think we all have addictions, right? We, some are more severe than others. You know, maybe someone's addicted to sugar, maybe someone's addicted to drugs or alcohol or whatever the case may be. Everyone has some type of addiction. But drug use uh, addiction, uh, it's really a, affects not only the, the the person but also the families that are around them, and in a lot of different ways. Can you give us some insight as as to what leads to? drug addiction or i guess maybe addiction as a whole like what is it that is happening within ourselves that is gravitating us toward whatever it is that we're addicted to well the reason uh, people are gravitated towards it is because it provides some sense of pleasure you know when you're using whatever it is you're addicted to uh, there's messages that get sent off in the brain that says this feels good i enjoy this and so that tends to cause somebody to keep going back to it. And it really only becomes an addiction when you ignore all the negative consequences of using that substance and you continue to just seek out that pleasure. And so uh, whether it be drugs, whether it be alcohol, whether it be sugar, all of us have a tendency to seek out those pleasures and if it gets out of control, that's when it can turn into an addiction. And I think what's hard for some people to wrap our minds around, because we see the effects of the addiction on the person, physically, mentally, uh, huge difference. And we look at that and we wonder, how can they not see what that's doing to them in their body? or what it's doing to them and their relationships around them. And I guess maybe that's where people who aren't addicted to drugs maybe have a hard time speaking to those who are addicted or trying to understand because we see that. Why aren't they seeing that? Is it just because the drug itself is just really taken over so much that they just don't literally see what's happening to themselves? Yeah, that's part of it. Um, they're so deep in their addiction and the drug has taken so much control over that they are either blind to it, they don't recognize it, or they do see some of the problems, but um, 
they don't really think of the problems as really that bad. Um, the pleasure that they're getting from it outweighs whatever problems it's causing. Uh, I was actually, uh, I brought this article about um, the survey that was done in 2021 um, talking about substance use and things that are going on currently in America. And they said that 94% of people that qualify for a substance use disorder don't seek treatment because they don't feel like they have a problem or need any help. Wow. So that's a, a tall order then for the loved ones or the friends or whoever to try to get them to see um, that they do have this problem that's affecting them in a very negative way. So then I guess if we know that 94% of them feel like there's no problem, then how do we talk to them? How do we speak to them? How do we reach them in a way that they realize that there is a problem or that they want to get off of whatever it is that they're on? The most important thing that can be done is just let them know that you care and that you're there for them and that uh, if they are struggling, uh, they can come to you for support or you can get them the support they need. Um, it, it's better to do that than to say you're going to treatment or you're going to do this because you're causing all these problems. And, you know, when we use that approach, people get really defensive and immediately shut down and aren't open to any suggestions. But if we approach them in a loving, caring way, that creates the opportunity for more conversation and hopefully gets them to come to a point where they are willing to work on at least something that has to do with that addiction. Because really, just correct me if I'm wrong, but if I have an addiction to something and someone forces me, obviously, like you just mentioned, that doesn't mean it's going to help me. Really, the person has to, in a way, kind of realize that there's a problem or realize that it is affecting the negative and have a want to to get off, right? I mean, it's, you can't force someone to be non-addictive to something. Right. And so a lot of what I do when I first meet with a client is I ask them questions like, what is it that brought you here? What is it that you want to achieve by coming here? And how can I help you achieve that? If I sit down with them and I said, oh, well, you, you know, are dealing with alcohol problems, so we're going to stop drinking and you're not going to touch alcohol anymore. I could say that, but they're going to look at me like, you know, I'm not buying this. I'm not going to do this. And sometimes it's just a matter of harm reduction. So let's look at how much you're using and let's look at where you're comfortable starting on your road to recovery. And I think that's an important idea to think about is the road to recovery is different from each and every individual. And so while some people might practice complete abstinence, there's other people that that's just not realistic for. And is that why there are several, you know, drug addiction uh, groups and organizations out there, and you'll hear someone that went to two or three or four, and by the fifth one, that fifth one worked. Is, is that kind of why? Because everyone's just a little bit different, so you can't really have a cookie-cutter program that helps everyone? Absolutely. So, you know, a lot of people talk about the benefits of going to those support groups, or some people might say, you know, the group setting is just not for me. I'd rather just go talk to a therapist or, you know, 
go to a psychiatrist and maybe get some med-assisted treatment. There's a lot of medications out there that can help people through addiction. And so, yeah, there's no right or wrong way or one cookie-cutter way. It's just, you know, for that individual, what seems to work with them, what seems to click for them. So as me, as a, a loved one who sees someone going through whatever it is that they're going through, um, I mean, you've, you've kind of indicated some things that we you know should say or should not say, but it's it's hard for it not to affect your attitude, right? Because you're watching your loved one who, you know, maybe if, it, if it's a child, you've seen them grow up and they become an adult and this begins to happen and, and it's heartbreaking, but also frustrating because, again, we're not addicted and we don't quite understand why can't you get off of this? How, how do I keep my attitude in check when I have those conversations and, and try to speak to that person about what's happening? I think it's important to remember and remind yourself that, you know, addiction is a disease. And just like any other disease, there's uh, things that we just all don't understand. And um, there's plenty of resources out there for family members of people who are in addiction. Uh, Al-Anon is a great support group for family members of somebody who's dealing with alcoholism. Um, and there's resources available on different websites uh, like the SAMHSA website for family members on how to help somebody who's dealing with an addiction or going through recovery. Are there things that we can look for? I mean, obviously, there are the physical things that eventually begin to happen to someone uh, or the mental uh you know, areas where maybe they lose interest in things or, um, you know, maybe can't think of uh, things, uh, common, normal, everyday stuff. Um, are there other indicators that we could look for in someone to say, I kind of feel like something's going on here, or um, maybe we're concerned about addiction with a certain family member when it comes to drugs or whatever the case may be? Yeah, so there's definitely signs you can look for. You know, if you think about, Somebody who's fallen deeper in their addiction, sometimes a more social person will start to isolate themselves. They want to remove themselves from the people around them because there's a feeling of shame or guilt or embarrassment. Uh, another thing you might notice is, you know, they're just not being as honest as they were before. And sometimes they get caught up in so many lies, they can't even keep them straight. And so, um, that's another sign you can be aware of. Um, and then just, you know, an overall change in their interest, um, things that they used to enjoy doing they're no longer interested in, and um, now they're getting interested in things that they never had an interest in before. And most of the time those are things that aren't healthy. And so just recognizing those changes in behavior is a good way to see the signs of addiction. I think one thing to point out, too, is that, Drug addiction has no boundaries. In other words, white, black, Asian, Hispanic, rich, poor, middle class. I mean, it's affecting everyone. That's right. Uh, you know, the population of clients I see, uh, I have some dealing with addiction that are as young as 14 or 15 and some that are up in their 70s. Um, so age range doesn't matter, uh, race, ethnicity, you know, class level, none of it matters. Uh, addiction affects everyone. 
it's it's not just a Sykeston problem. It's a problem in Cape and Poplar Bluff, Charleston, uh, throughout uh, our state and our country. And, um, you know, Chris, I think one of the things that you talked about earlier was people that come in evaluating their relationships and whether they are you know, good or toxic or, uh, you know, for whatever the case may be. So that means if, if I'm understanding right, if I'm addicted and I have a support team, but uh, maybe a large group of that support team is really kind of toxic to me in my recovery, then that also may mean that as I'm trying to recover from this, I may have to block out a large group of that support, right? Absolutely. Uh, we talk about it all the time. In recovery, people, places, and things. Who are the people you're surrounding yourself with? What are the things that you're doing? What are the places that you are going? And so a lot of time I spend uh, with my clients is identifying, okay, um, if you are struggling with being somewhere where alcohol is served or where alcohol is sold, what places can you go to that don't provide that? And that's one step in the right direction. If I can eliminate those places where alcohol is available, then I can reduce the chances of me falling into temptation and giving into my cravings. Which is so, I mean, this is take alcohol. So difficult. I mean, how many restaurants serve alcohol? There's bars all over the place. You go into convenience stores, there's alcohol. I mean, it's really kind of difficult for someone to block out that image or thought of having a drink when it's so prevalent everywhere. And I, and I got to feel like the same thing is true with drug addiction, that if I'm, in, if I'm addicted to drugs and I know who the players are, it, it's really not hard for me to go get it. Absolutely. It's becoming more and more socially acceptable. You know, you think about how, you know, if you're 21 years old, you can go get alcohol and nobody's going to stop you. And, you know, now we have the issue with marijuana being legalized. And so, again, you know, if you want to go get marijuana legally, you can. And it just creates so many more issues because although it may be legal, there's still a lot of risk involved in using those things. Well, I was going to kind of ask that question at some point because uh, years ago when we were doing the talk show and we had people on, uh, and law enforcement and others, they always talked about marijuana, the gateway drug, and it can lead to so many other things, which is true, not in all cases, but certainly true. With the legalization of marijuana in, in the state of Missouri, I mean, does that give you some some reservations, some moments of pause, like th this is not going to be healthy for those who are addicted to drugs? Yes and no. So um, with the legalization of it, I think um, there's some benefits of it as far as like the decriminalization. Uh, there were so many issues with um, law enforcement having to focus on, you know, enforcing these laws against marijuana. And so I think in that way, there's some benefit to it. Um, and it allows law enforcement to focus on more serious issues. Um, but there's also the risk, just like with alcohol being, you know, legal for anyone over the age of 21, that it's easily misused. And, you know, you get a hold of it so easily and then you misuse it. And then before you know it, you're addicted. And um, I think that's what the original intention was when it was outlawed is to not make it so accessible and by doing that, they 
they created a problem and a solution, you know. Yeah. Uh, people weren't able to get it as easily, but the people found a way to get it, and then uh, it created a lot of legal issues for them. And um, that that's one of the things in recovery that is really still um, a stigma that we have to fight, is there's still a lot of people that look at addiction as, a, you know, someone with addiction is a criminal. And addiction is just a disease, and we have to treat the disease. We don't need to treat them like criminals. It does seem like there's been a lot of talk uh, in the past, I don't know, five to ten years, let's say, about how we treat those who are addicted. Because there was that mentality, if you get caught with it, no matter who you are, what you're on, whatever, you're, you're going to be charged, you're going to go to court, you're going to have criminal charges, you may go to jail. And in some cases, the, those who were repeat offenders wound up in prison for several years because of their addiction. But it does seem like there has been more talk and a more push toward getting rid of some of those laws or changing some of those laws so it gets people more into the rehab as opposed to the prison system. Right. The treatment is really the focus that um, needs to be in recovery, dealing with addiction, um, getting them more treatment and not having as much um, you know, time in, spent in prison just being locked up. Um, it removes them from society. It creates an issue as far as psychologically thinking, well, I made all these mistakes, I'm a bad person, and really they're just struggling with the disease and they're not getting the treatment for it like they could be. Is there a point uh, in some cases, and maybe with all or most, I don't know, where the person who is addicted does get to that point where they just feel like, oh, I'm too far gone. I, you know, it doesn't matter what I do now. Might as well just stay on this path and just keep going. Yeah, and that's really the struggle you deal with sometimes when you know somebody comes into therapy and they're, you know, almost to the point where they don't feel like there's anything that can be done. And so it's our job as providers to um, instill some hope and tell them that there is something good to look forward to. And, you know, we do that by, you know, assessing their life and the people in their life and the things in their life. Um, a lot of times when you look at the positive things, the strengths that this person has, you're able to start create creating that hope that they need. And we were talking earlier um, before and then a little bit as we got into the interview about why people even choose to participate in any type of, of drug. And, and I, I've known people that got addicted to opioids because of surgeries or medical conditions. I know people that got addicted because they started here and just kind of worked their, their way up. There's a lot of reasons why people – get started, I think what we're trying to figure out is how to prevent that from happening. How do we keep them from even wanting to try? And we have the D.A.R.E. program and Red Ribbon Week. We do all these things with kids, but it doesn't seem to be really having the big impact, I think, that m most people would like to see. Yeah, and I think it's really just educating people on healthy ways to cope with whatever it is you're dealing with. Uh, you talked about people that you know, go through surgeries and then they get prescribed some opioids or something like that and become addicted. So that's to treat the physical pain that they're dealing with. 
Well, people also deal with emotional pain, and that's where you start to see addiction come in, is someone who's been through a traumatic experience, someone who's been abused. There's so much emotional pain that they're going through that they just want to numb that pain. They want to feel something different, and that's when they turn to substances. So really, if we maybe kind of focus more on mental health pre-addiction or pre-trying, maybe we can curb this a little bit more. Would that be fair? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think sometimes um, there's still that stigma with mental health as well as, you know, if I admit that I'm struggling with this, then I'm admitting that I have a weakness and I can't admit to that. And so they don't seek treatment, they don't seek help, and then they turn to other things to deal with that. And sometimes that ends up being substances, and sometimes that develops into an addiction. And so now you're adding another problem on top of all the problems that you were originally dealing with. Yeah. Well, Chris, I appreciate you coming in and talking with us today. Um, if anyone has questions, if they need to seek help, if if uh, they know someone that needs help, uh, who, who, how can they get in touch with you? Or who do they call? They can call Boot Hill Counseling Services. Our number is 573-471-0800. And there's the new national helpline that you can dial 988 and get any kind of help that you're uh, needing um, when you're dealing with any kind of mental health-related or addiction type of crisis. All right, Chris, again, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. Chris Hummel is the licensed professional counselor at Boot Hill Counseling Services and substance use therapy is a specialty. We thank you for joining us on the Talk of Sykeston. We'll see you next weekend. I'm Glenn Cantrell.